Welcome to the Flourish with Functional Nutrition podcast. I'm your host, Madeline Lowry, founder of Twin Studios Nutritional Therapy and a Nutritional Therapy and MAP Method practitioner, specializing in chronic digestive issues, allergies, sensitivities, and autoimmune conditions. Join me for episode 30, where I'm going to talk about the role of trauma in chronic illness, both mental and physical and how this is being examined and written about these days. Please listen until the end to hear about effective methods for resolving trauma to counteract these health risks. As always, we must disclaim that the information we share in the podcast is for educational purposes only. As MAP method practitioners, we do not diagnose or treat disease, and we recommend working with a qualified practitioner. Now, let's get started. So where we want to get started is with my own story. I haven't really shared this on the podcast, but I think it will be illustrative for, you know, my journey so far and how I went from being a nutritional therapy practitioner to a MAP method practitioner and the other skill, myriad skills I picked up along the way. Um, So it starts out with, as many of these stories do, just a poor state of health. And I had been in and out of various symptoms that were really impacting my day-to-day life. And it wasn't like I had a diagnosis, right? It was just a matter of really severe fatigue, maybe, maybe on some level depression, although I didn't really experience it that way. Some people say that poor gut function can be interpreted as kind of depression as it is expressed in the body. And um, just a lot of physical symptoms that cropped up and were getting worse. You know, I was someone who thought I was a pretty healthy person, but as the years went on, I found I was relying more and more on painkillers to get through my day, to get through my week, and just nothing really seemed to be working all that well. I was having migraine headaches, digestive distress, I would get colds. In the winter, that would last for weeks, and I just—I was so congested, I couldn't sleep lying down. I'd have to sit up. I mean, it just seemed like any little thing just took me down, way down. Had bouts of vertigo, you know, just intermittent things. But it all added up to a not so great health picture. So my health had taken a turn for the worse, and had taken—you know—it probably evolved over a number of years. I just didn't feel like medicine had something to offer me. You know, I'd go in for my annual physicals and. And we talk about maybe one or two top symptoms that were, you know, top of mind at that point, but never really got to a place where I felt like we were really addressing the underlying problems. And then one day I picked up a book in a, in a bookstore and it was a book about gluten intolerance. And it was a book that said, you know, gluten intolerance is celiac disease light. And if you have the following symptoms, emotional symptoms or digestive symptoms, or you have these other kinds of food intolerance, you know, typical symptoms, you should really consider eliminating gluten from your diet for a couple of weeks and see what it does for you. And the funny thing is we just had a family friend diagnosed with celiac disease. You know, when she was diagnosed, I thought, well, I don't really know much about this. What is this? And so I got a book from the library. It was about celiac disease and I read it. 
And I remember thinking, oh, sounds like, you know, there's so many ways the celiac symptoms can be expressed. And when I, as I read the book, I thought, oh, my mother has this. Oh, my father has this. There were parts of it that fit with my parents' health histories. But, you know, their, their upbringings were so different. They, you know, grew up on different continents. It just, it was, you know, I was trying to come to grips with the idea that this could have been a factor in both of their lives when their lives were so incredibly different. Anyway, so I pick up this book and it's talking about gluten intolerance and it's like, well, if you have these symptoms and, you know, I had several of them, including the migraine headaches and the GI distress and other things, it said, you know, you should really try. So I, I, you know, on the strength of reading the blurb of this book in a bookstore, I went home and I thought, oh, okay, let me take out gluten from my diet for a couple weeks. And then I thought, well, I guess I don't know where everywhere where gluten is. I mean, obviously pasta is gluten and crackers are gluten and bread is gluten, but where are the other sources of gluten? So I kind of, you know, did a Google search and I, I embarked on a couple of weeks with no gluten in the diet. And the changes I saw in my health were quite remarkable. Um, like 10 things that I just thought were part of, you know, my existence, you know, like having um, really cold hands and feet all the time. You know, I was one of those people that had to sit on my hands all the time because they were too cold. Migraine headaches, you know, things about my menstrual cycle. I mean, just all kinds of things just got better so fast within that two-week period. And I thought, what is this? And, and the, real, the real thing that really, I don't know, cemented it in for me was I thought, well, okay, so maybe less gluten would be better for me. So I can do that. But I thought, I'm not going to be one of those crazy people that is looking for gluten and ingredient, you know, ingredient lists of every sauce and every condiment everywhere, right? So I, so I proceeded to make dinner one day during this, I don't know, two-week period, and I was making fish, and I thought, oh, am I going to put breadcrumbs on this fish like I usually do? And I thought, yeah, breadcrumbs, you know, that, how much could that affect me? And I put breadcrumbs on this fish and I sat down and we ate dinner. And I tell you, within a few bites of eating the fish, all the symptoms were starting to come back, right? Like I noticed incredible muscle tension, stomach starting to rumble, the head, you know, creeping sense of a headache. I mean, it was just so uh, undeniable at that point. I thought, oh my gosh, you know, if this is what it takes to keep me feeling this good, then I, that's just what I have to do, right? I just have to take all this gluten out of my diet. Anyway, that, in, that was an introduction to what a change in the diet could do for your health. And I remembered that. And, you know, all my reading about celiac at that point came, you know, back into focus. And I thought, well, you know, they tell celiac, they tell celiacs that if they can maintain a gluten-free diet for two years, that their gut will return to the state of health that they used to enjoy before their diagnosis. And so I was determined to do this. I, you know, I just have to be really disciplined and take all sources of gluten out of the diet. So now I am reading all the sauce labels. And in two years, hopefully, I've recovered my health and, and everything will be peachy keen. That was my plan. Well, best laid plans, right? So 18 months or 20 months pass. And I'm so hopeful as, as people who know who try to take gluten out of their diet, you know, you make mistakes and you make mistakes the first few months because, you know, you don't realize that imitation crab has gluten, that soy sauce has gluten, right? So you get exposures along the way and you feel terrible for about three days, but then, you know, you return to your previously strict diet and you feel much better. 
I was getting close to that two-year point when the symptoms started to come back again. And I thought, what? What is this? I have been so strict. Maybe I have a new food sensitivity. And so I decided to figure out what that was and determined that I needed to take dairy out of my diet as well. So no gluten, no dairy, things are fine, 10 months or 12 months or, you know, later, symptoms arise again. Oh no, what is it now? Now I take out all the grains. Um, I've been reading about the paleo diet. I feel like I think I'm headed towards that, which is, you know, the elimination of a lot more things. But again, I'm thinking if this is what it takes for me to be well, you know, I can do this, right? I can do this. And so it goes, the symptoms return again. And within a year or a year or so. And so that the, the, the time period for the symptoms returning is getting smaller and smaller. So my windows of good health with each diet alteration are getting smaller. And I decide I come across the nutritional therapy association. I think I was reading a book about the paleo diet and the authors had NTP after their name. And I thought, what is that? And so I, I looked it up and I read about the philosophy of the Nutritional Therapy Association, and I thought, this sounds like something I need to know, right? I got lucky when I happened to pick up a book on gluten intolerance and took that out of my diet, and I got better. And I got lucky again when I took you know, dairy out and then grains out and then went to a paleo diet. At this point, I think I was on an autoimmune paleo diet. So again, we take out more things, more no eggs, no nightshades already removed sugar, legumes. So very restricted diet. Let's just put it that way. And I'm thinking, I think I just need to learn what this nutritional therapy approach is and apply it to myself. And I thought I'll apply it to myself and I'll get my health back because though I was, I've been able to do it so far with these diet changes, there is something more that I'm missing and I cannot figure it out anymore. So I'm going to get this degree and I'm going to solve my health problems, right? And so I did that. I spent a year getting this degree and I applied everything I learned to myself and I did get better. You know, I did get about 60% better. I was absolutely in love with everything that we were learning. I thought, my God, this is so practical. This is so straightforward. And I think more people need to know this. I think that most people don't understand the relationship between their health and what they're putting into their bodies, their diet, not just what you eat, but how you eat it, what comprises a meal, what comprises a snack, when, when you should be eating, when you should not, you know, not be eating. So there's a lot more to it than just the composition of the diet. But I still felt even, uh, so I, I, I left the business world to become an, a practicing nutritional therapy practitioner. But there was still this nagging feeling that there was more to it than I was seeing, right? I didn't have the whole picture. So my practice was focused around allergies and sensitivities, right? The things that brought me to the Nutritional Therapy Association. It was allergies and sensitivities, digestive issues, and autoimmune disease, or diseases, I should say, since there are about 150 autoimmune conditions. And this was because I felt like I was following in the footsteps of my mother, who had at least three autoimmune conditions already. So here I am, you know, committed to my nutritional therapy practice, trying to help my clients, many of them getting better, but some of them also not. I remember one client in particular who came in with uh, severe chemical sensitivities. You know, I did everything I could think of 
that logically made sense to me with what I knew as a nutritional therapy practitioner, but we were not, you know, there were points at which she felt like she was improving, but we were not making significant enough changes that I felt like we were getting to the root cause. And so I'm searching, I'm still searching, you know, I'm reading tons of books, probably read 100, 200 books, searching for the answers for myself and for my clients. And I came across this book called Wired for Healing and another book called, it was another book about retraining your brain that was written by a science writer. And she wrote this book about the brain being the last frontier for health. In fact, it was called something like that. The last, I'll have to think about it um, and put it in the, in the show notes, but it was um, about the last frontier uh, for improving health, which was working with your brain. Both of these women, I think, had some kind of limbic hyperactivity disorder. And the first author, Annie Hopper, the author of Wired for Healing, recognized this. The second author didn't seem to recognize this, but she did improve her health by doing some basic mindfulness practices like keeping a gratitude journal, practicing yoga very intensely, and meditation. So both of these women improve. The first author who realized that it was her brain and understood that it was the limbic system in the brain that needed to be worked with improved a whole lot faster than the second person who just did you know general mindfulness practice. This made a lot of sense to me, right? As a biology major and someone who understands that you know the brain is the seat of all functions in the body, uh, who understands that we have a conscious mind, the thinking mind, but we also have an unconscious mind that is tasked with running all the systems of the body. And that unconscious mind, we also know, is responsible for about 90 to 95% of all brain activity going on in the brain at any moment in time. When we're in good health, it is thanks to this unconscious mind that is behind the scenes, you know, without our conscious participation at all, keeps everything running along in the way that it should. Your blood pressure, your hormone levels, your immune system, your digestive function, your breathing, your respiratory function, everything, everything that we need to keep us in the peak of health runs without any doing on our part because of the unconscious mind. So what happens, you know, what role does the unconscious mind have when our health starts going off the rails, so to speak? So I really had to think about that a lot. You know, after reading that book, Wired for Healing, so Annie Hopper was a therapist who had developed a number of sensitivities, mold sensitivity and electromagnetic field sensitivity that were so severe that she couldn't live in her own home, didn't allow her to work because she couldn't be around any devices like a laptop, like a computer, like an outlet like a cell phone. She was a, she was trained as a, uh, a therapist. So she says, you know, as a very keen observer of self. And I understood, I went to a lot of doctors and they told me this and they told me that, but nothing was helping me get better. And I understood on some level that it was my brain that had changed. It wasn't presence of these environmental irritants like mold or EMFs. And so she realizes this and comes up with a, what I will call a home program for retraining her brain to tolerate these things again. And she says, you know, when I tried it, I, you know, I just came up with something and I started practicing it on myself and I couldn't believe how quickly, you know, within weeks, she's seeing significant improvements. Within a few months, she's able to move back home and resume her lifestyle. 
she ends up teaching this system to others and it's called the dynamic neural retraining system. So this system is, I would say now that this system is a basic method of neural retraining. It is a way of working with your brain so that it learns to tolerate substances, right? That it has become intolerant to, whether that's food or chemicals or electromagnetic fields or environmental irritants like pollen or pet hair, or whether it's anything else that you can sense with the senses and become intolerant to, like motion, like heights, like certain weather patterns or temperatures, certain activities. You know, we can become crosswired to any of these things because the brain has a funny way of working. It's like a pattern recognition system. And um, particularly where it comes to the limbic system, which is the danger sensing system of our brain, which is intended when it's working properly, it is intended to sense danger in our environment. So everything that we can sense outside of us, as well as danger that presents from within. So it's also monitoring all of the internal systems of the body. And when it detects danger, it sets off an alarm. The amygdala sets off this sort of alarm signal, which calls for stress hormones to be released throughout the body. And this can contribute to, you know, certain systems of the body starting to change their function, can contribute to a sense of fatigue, can contribute to pain or tension, muscle rigidity, it can and certainly is accompanied by the release of molecules of emotion. Candace Pert talks about this in her book, The Molecules of Emo Emotion. When the alarm goes off, we are definitely flooded with molecules of emotion like fear, anxiety, depression could also rise to the level of panic or terror because the brain is trying to tell us, don't do that again. Don't go there again. Stay away. That is not safe for you. The problem is when the limbic system becomes inappropriately imprinted on a pattern and within that pattern is something that maybe is just an irritant, but it, when it becomes crosswired against something in our experience that was a true trauma, this can contribute to sensitivities and allergies to things in our environment that are not truly a threat. They are a false threat. They are, we become crosswired to them and the brain starts to view them as part of the pattern of a larger trauma. This is the concept of crosswiring that Annie Hopper speaks about in her book. So armed with this, I played around with these concepts. I resolved my own allergies and sensitivities and I came up with kind of a variant on Annie Hopper's work and other people's work who talk about techniques of self self-directed neural retraining, which is really about a person learning certain techniques or certain exercises and practicing them on themselves to resolve their allergies and sensitivities. And so this is what I did. I managed to resolve all of my allergies and sensitivities to the foods that were affecting me. And in doing so, not only did I resolve those allergies and sensitivities, but I recovered my baseline level of health. And that was so surprising to me that this could happen within a period of, I don't know, six to eight weeks. Although I had, you have to keep practicing these, these exercises for an hour a day for three to six months because these brain patterns are really strongly held, right? If you stop the practice, 
too early, those brain patterns can reestablish themselves. I learned a lot from this practice that really opened my eyes to the role of the brain in health. So from there, since one of my areas of practice, one of my specialties was already allergies and sensitivities, I was already learning some other skills like energy kinesiology to be able to test people against food test kits, you know, to determine their full list of sensitivities. I also started to study different allergy elimination techniques. I learned several of them before I came to the neural retraining method. And I just found that the neural retraining method was quicker. The, the res results seemed to be quicker and across categories. So you didn't have to work on just a sensitivity to A and then B and then C. You didn't just have to work on foods and then chemicals. It seemed that by retraining the brain to increase its tolerance, that you could see improvements in all categories at the same time. So fast forward <laughs> another six months and in working with my clients with allergies and sensitivities, I started to teach them some of these principles that I learned. And many of them did extraordinarily well. You know, they, they improved along much the same timelines that I saw improvements. But there were always about 20 or 30% of my clients that just didn't come along as quickly or they would see some improvement, but then they would get stuck. And I thought, what is this? And I thought there's something more I need to learn. And so, you know, I became sort of frustrated with this because I want everyone to get better. I thought, I wish I didn't have to send people home. Well, the other, the other reason that people didn't you know, improve to the, to the extent that they wanted to is that they, life would get busy and they wouldn't have time for this hour of practice every day. And so it just kind of fall apart. And I thought, I wish I didn't have to send people home to do this practice for three to six months. I wish there was a way that I could do the rewiring for them, that I could do it for them somehow in a session with me or in a set of sessions, and then it would be just done. And we and, and they wouldn't have to go through this practice, these exercises, and um, this, you know, really big commitment that people were making. I mean, it was worth it for many people. I worked with so many people that would come to me that were eating 10 foods. You know, I can only eat these 10 foods if I step out of this really restricted box. You know, the symptoms are so terrible. I just can't conceive of it, but I feel really restricted in my diet and I, I, I want to expand my diet. And so for people like this, of course, an hour of practice day for three to six months doesn't seem that daunting, but for the person who's maybe just allergic to one or two things, you know, that program is, is also really too much. So I also wanted to be able to address the person that just had maybe one or two severe allergies and again, didn't want to sign up for three to six months of practice. <laughs> I like to say, you know, be careful what you wish for, because I came across these demonstrations and I, I just kept watching them over and over again. And I thought, what is going on here? It looks like this practitioner is rewiring this person's brain in, in the session, in the moment. And I thought, wait a second, that's exactly what I want to learn. I have to know more about this. And so I did, and I went digging and I found the MAP Coaching Institute and this MAP method, which is a trademarked method. And with this method, I realized we have the tools now to address not only allergies and sensitivities, but the effects of trauma on health. So let me back up just a little bit here because I, I jumped over something. So um, recall that 20 to 30% of the people that I was teaching these, these self-directed and mental exercises to that weren't coming along as well as I thought that they should started thinking, what, 
what is the difference between these people and the other people that I teach? And then I had learned about the Adverse Childhood Experiences study done by the Centers for Disease Control and Kaiser, the network of healthcare centers out in the West. I added in a question on my intake form that asked, do you have a history of adverse childhood experiences? And I started to realize that the people who got stuck, the people who could not use, for whom this self-directed method was not enough, these are the people with moderate to severe histories of trauma. I want to say here also that it's not all about adverse childhood experiences, right? So it's not just about what happens to you in childhood because trauma can happen at any point in life. I would say that the adverse childhood experiences study really brought to the attention of many the risk that trauma early in life can have on lifelong risk for chronic illness, addictions, mental health issues, and really all kinds of mental, emotional, and physical health issues later in life, including allergies and sensitivities, which was just one expression that I happened to start with. But I would say lifelong trauma must be taken into consideration. It's not just what happens to you before you're 18 years old. So anyway, I realized that trauma was a factor. It seemed to be the difference between those that could overcome the allergies and sensitivities through mental exercises done at home and the people for whom that just was not enough. And so you can look at trauma, especially in the early years, as kind of a um, something that becomes encoded in the mind at such a level that if you have these early adverse childhood experiences, that just doing um, a program like DNRS or just doing you know, things like affirmations or meditations, it just may not be enough for you. There's more that's needed because some of these traumas need to be resolved or neutralized in order for you to achieve your goals for health. At this point, I I just want to bring our attention to some of the writings. So I mentioned the CDC's, the ACEs study, and you can look that up there. If you Google that, there are videos and there are websites that talk about the results from that study and what it shows. Suffice it to say that there is many multiple fold uh, risk, higher risk in people with ACEs than the general population of chronic illness, both mental and physical later in life. Gabor Matei has written about this in his book, When the Body Says No. He is a Western-trained medical doctor. He's an MD, and he, in his own journey with his own health and his patients, came to understand the impact that trauma, again, childhood trauma has a special significance, but it is not, it's not just about childhood trauma, it's trauma throughout life, can have on our health and how it contributes to very significant diseases like cancer and ALS, other significant chronic illness. John Sarno writes about this, another Western-trained physician who started out working with people with chronic back pain. He worked at NYU's Rusk Institute for Physical Rehabilitation, and he worked with people who suffered from chronic back pain. Only he found that after applying everything he learned from medicine for the first eight or 10 years of his practice, that he found it was really hit or miss. 
And that is when he decided to start exploring other methods. And he went back to earlier work that had been done around the impact of emotional stressors, our trauma experiences on our physical health. And found in working with his clients from that point on, when he worked with the ones that were open to this concept, that often he found that there were sources of rage that were long buried, anger and rage that were long buried in the psyche that when recognized and when released would resolve the chronic back pain. And this turned out to be much more effective than the physical therapy and the uh, pharmaceutical prescriptions and even the surgery that he referred people to before. He writes about this in several of his books, The Divided Mind, that's the, the last of his books, and also The Mind-Body Prescription, both great books if you uh, are interested in chronic pain. So he started out working with back pain, but then he proceeded to broaden. He realized that he could broaden these concepts and their applicability to other types of chronic pain and even other health issues like uh, gastrointestinal issues and anxiety and so forth. You know, I always like to mention those two books because I think that there's a lot written now that's very helpful. Louise Hay also has written for years about the mental causes for physical illness. She has written many, many books and even used her methods, which are based on using affirmations in daily life. She even used her methods to resolve cancer for herself. She writes about this in her books, which you can, um, which you can find. One of them is called Heal Your Body. She has many, uh, she has another book with a similar title, like Heal, You Can Heal Your Life, something like that. But in any case, there's a lot being written about the effects of trauma on health. John Sarno would say that he graduated from med school in the 1950s, and that was just about the point where they stopped teaching about the mind-body connection, the connection between the psyche and the body in medical school. You know, he says prior to 1950, this was much more accepted, much more part of the curriculum. After 1950, it just became much more focused on the physical body and how we could impact it with chemicals, pharmaceuticals, as well as just uh, surgical or other kinds of techniques which were more physically based. Um, and the role of the psyche was sort of relegated to the back burner. So I think it's high time that we look at this again. <laughs> and again, what I have seen is that people who have more significant trauma histories and have chronic health issues, you know, are often very well served by starting to investigate that connection. And one of the ways we can do this is through the MAP method. That's the method I personally use and find very, very helpful in helping people connect the dots. But there are other methods if the, you know, I, I encourage people to find a method that appeals to them. EMDR and tapping are two methods for resolving consciously held trauma memories. I would say that compared with these, the MAP method is, well, we call it a quantum leap over EMDR and tapping. And the reason for that is it is much faster. It works with clusters of memories at one time, not just one memory at a time. And also it harnesses the power of the subconscious mind to find all stored memories, not just consciously held, but also unconsciously held. 
and unconsciously held. Remember, the unconscious mind counts for 90 plus percent of all our brain activity. Everything that happens to you has ever happened to you is encoded as a memory. You may not have conscious access to it, but your unconscious mind does. And so when we use the map method, we're able to have the subconscious mind basically search both the consciously held memories as well as the unconsciously held memories and neutralize all of these at the same time. The MAP method is not a method of therapy. You can think of it as a method of, well, it's a method of rewiring the brain. It's about uh, releasing or neutralizing the emotional pain associated with those memories so that they aren't, they aren't running you anymore, literally and figuratively. Um, they aren't running you anymore. They aren't informing the function of your subconscious, your unconscious mind. Um, they aren't, they aren't weighing on your limbic system because sometimes these experiences can put the limbic system into a hyper alert mode where it's constantly looking at the environments, constantly searching all sensory inputs, both internal and external, for danger, and is much more likely to crosswire to these things like food sensitivities or chemical sensitivities, sensitivities to mold, or even sensitivities to our own internal system functions that can cause health issues. I would say that the MAP method is kind of the latest generation of energy psychology methods that dates back to the 80s or 90s where when EMDR and tapping were first formulated. Hypnosis and also psychotherapy or cognitive behavioral therapy, various forms of therapy can also be helped. I think it's important to avail yourself of whatever feels right and comfortable for you. I do like the MAP method. And that is, it can be done at a distance. So method sessions are conducted over Zoom video conference. And I find that is really convenient for a lot of my clients. They don't have to travel anywhere. They don't have to take time out of their day to travel somewhere. I can work with people from all over the world. And I do. And they can receive the benefits um, at a distance. So, you know, especially in these times of fear of COVID, this is really a nice, secure way of receiving a therapeutic benefit without having to expose yourself. Now, what I want to talk about is just um, something that Gabor Mate said. Uh, I'm going to misquote him here because I can't remember the exact words, but he basically said it's trauma is not what happens out here in the world, right? It's not what happens to you. It's what your mind does with that experience. It's how that experience is encoded for you. And I just want to highlight this because some people feel like, you know, I ask them, well, do you, you know, do you have a history of adverse childhood experiences? It's still on my intake form. And many people will think, no, I, no, I don't think I do. I mean, I, I would have answered the question, no, I don't think so. Right. But when I took the, when I took the ACEs inventory, I got a five out of 10. So even though you may not think you have had uh, a traumatic childhood and it's not all about the ACEs either. You know, you may have to re-examine that. You may want to take the ACEs inventory and see what that has to show you. But even what could be considered relatively small things can be a significant trauma that can affect you for the rest of your life or, or maybe just pop up at another point in life and start affecting you. And you may have no conscious recollection of it. 
so for example, you know, Gabor Mate talks about how, you know, he was raised, he was born in, in the time of the Nazi occupation of Budapest. And he was, uh, most of his family members were taken away to concentration camps. And, you know, this included his father, his grandparents. His mother was in a state of panic, did not know what to do. She thought she was next. She handed him off to a stranger on the street and said, take care of my baby for me. And he was separated from his mother for a few months. So as an infant, you know, he's, he now, now that he understands, he's seen how trauma works, how it comes up for his, for his patients in their lives. You know, he looks back on this event and he says, this not only contributes to my present day feeling of abandonment. If my wife forgets to pick me up at the airport, for example, he has what he recognizes as an outsized emotional response to these, um, everyday kind of occurrences, but he now understands that this is a trauma that can inform the subconscious mind, the unconscious mind for the rest of your life and can show up as chronic mental or physical illness, you know, like depression or anxiety. He says, that's what happened to me, but it doesn't have to be that severe, right? You don't have to be a Jew in the time of the Nazis to have a traumatic event that can affect you in this way. He said, in modern day life, even just dropping your child off at a childcare center, you know, maybe where that child feels that separation every day from mother or feels ignored or that their needs are not being met. So Gabor Mate, I, I like the way he explains this. He says, you know, children at young ages, right, they're narcissistic and what he means by this is that anything that happens in the world, they attribute to themselves. So if they're crying and no one is picking them up or they're hungry and no one's coming with food, right? They interpret this as I am not lovable. I am not worthy, right? There's something wrong with me. They can't understand that life is difficult and that parents have to work and that things are just this way. They attribute it to something wrong with themselves. And so these even small traumas for a sensitive person can be encoded in such a way that it just comes up for them as mental or physical issues later in life. So just keep that in mind. You know, it, something that you may not have thought much about could be affecting you and could be something that needs to be resolved. So I'll give you a few examples of how this has come up in my work. With MAP, people come to a session with a goal, right? They have a subject that they want to work on. And then the subconscious mind, through rounds of treatment, may show them certain memories. Like they'll have, suddenly a memory will come to them that they just hadn't thought of in a long, long time. Or maybe even appear to them like something something they don't recognize, right? They don't remember this at all. But it's being shown to them, and not all the time, but sometimes the subconscious mind will sort of present the memory as kind of a, a clue, right? This is one of the one of the memories that we're neutralizing that is impacting you. Because of this, um, I get to hear about these memories and I get to see the dots getting connected. It's, it's kind of wonderful in a way to understand how these things come about. So let me give you a few examples. Um, you know, recently I had a client that came in and she said, 
I keep waking up at like three or four in the morning and then I can't go back to sleep after that and I don't understand it. And so we explored this in a map session. What, she, what came up for her was a memory of being very young and feeling the need to wait up for her father to come home. Father was, he liked to drink, he liked to stay out late and this was unsettling for her. She felt unsafe until she heard the garage door open and she knew her father was home. And she th thought, wow, I forgot about that. You know, I forgot about all those nights I laid up waiting for him. It was really emotional for her. And once we cleared that memory, and by cleared, I, what I mean is, you know, through the map method, we can use the window of reconsolidation to bring up the memory, to separate the emotional pain from the memory and re-save the memory with neutral to positive emotions, whatever's appropriate, and then do this for every associated memory that she didn't see. But through the processing, we knew that there were, there, you know, it was a cluster of memories being neutralized. Can we save it? And we can resolve the emotional pain around that memory. So you don't have to go through life with this emotional baggage anymore. And indeed, her sleep did improve after that session. You know, sometimes it takes repeated sessions. Like, it, you know, the whatever we treated in the session wasn't the only contributor. There are more layers to it. And so, you know, it, it may take two, three, four, five sessions. But we can eventually clear enough consciously held and unconsciously held stressors so that that issue becomes resolved. Uh, another example is uh, another client of mine who is sexually abused and just uh, felt that she could not rest. And this was impacting her ability to rest even to this day. So that was something that we had to explore through MAP sessions. And then, you know, other examples of just experiences that made people feel sad or abandoned, right? When people fail to show up for them in their life, you know, just sort of living with this experience, though they may feel that this was something that was handled a long time ago, can contribute to feelings of loneliness or anxiety or depression in their present day life. So, you know, those are some examples of the kinds of things we see when we do map sessions with clients and are able to resolve so that they can resolve their issues. I mean, anything from allergies and sensitivities to autoimmune conditions. It's really quite interesting I'll also mention some of the um, work that recently about uh, psychoneuroimmunology. Neuro this is a new field. Remember I said that prior to the 1950s, there was more an accounting made of how the psyche, how the mind can affect physical health and mental health. But also, I think we're seeing a resurgence of interest in this today. And this new, this new term, this new field that's been named PNI, or sometimes PIN, psychoneuroimmunology, is recognizing the impact between this that the psyche has on the nervous system, the brain, and the immune system. And people are even adding one more term to this psychoneuroimmune endocrinology. So PNIE, again, the, the impact that the psyche has on the endocrine system, which is responsible for maintaining the balance of all our hormones. And this is, you know, this is a field that's receiving a lot more interest today. So I'm, I'm very encouraged that scientists are exploring this, that they're recognizing again, the importance of the psyche on all the 
expressions of physical and mental health. So I invite you to reach out and contact me if you have any questions about this. You can certainly schedule a 15-minute consultation on my website, Twin Cities Nutritional Therapy. I think that the role of neural retraining, both the basic methods, such as the DNRS system or what I call the retrain your brain system, uh, which is my kind of variant on it, or the work Rick Hansen has done. He's written several books on self-directed neural retraining. Uh, Louise Hay's work, right? These are all basic methods of retraining the brain, as well as the advanced methods. I would include MAP in that, as well as EMDR, tapping, hypnosis, psychotherapy, the advanced methods are really, really take into account the role of trauma. Each of those methods addresses the resolution of trauma in, a, in some way so that you can be released from the, the risks that this trauma inherently has on physical and mental health and be able to optimize health in a new way. I invite you to try it. You know, don't forget about the role of the brain. It's powerful. Thanks for joining us for the Flourish with Functional Nutrition podcast. Please listen again and remember to follow us and leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or Stitcher. To learn more about Twin Cities Nutritional Therapy or check out our podcast page, visit tcnutritionaltherapy.com. To find a nutritional therapy practitioner in your area, use the provider search at nutritionaltherapy.com. Until the next time, be well and flourish. Content of this podcast, copyright 2020 by Twin Cities Nutritional Therapy. Music by Barbara Benn.